All right, everyone. Welcome to the Crypto Scrubs podcast. This is our first episode. I'm your host, Galen Ma, and I'm with Tony Chang. Hello, everybody. I hope you guys had a good morning, night, or evening, whatever time of day you're listening to this podcast. It is Sunday, March 13th, 11.24 a.m. Pacific time, Pacific daylight times, first day of daylight savings. So um, hope you guys adjusted your clocks forward, but probably we'll be hearing this from the future sometime. <laughs> All right, Tony and I have been in the crypto space for five years now, and we wanted to start this podcast to share what we've been through for the past five years and also be kind of a discovery um, journey with us as we take on this crypto rabbit hole together. Um, so you as listeners, I hope you can come on this journey with us. But but by no means are we crypto experts. And are you a financial expert, Tony? Uh, financial experts, very much so, no. Me neither. So no, nothing on this podcast is considered financial advice. Um, so, but we wanted to take you on this journey as we explore the crypto metaverse, NFTs, lots of different pop text, uh, topics coming up uh, for you guys. Yep, pretty much, I guess, for me, um, what I'm trying to get out of this is being able to kind of share not only my experience, but also help me do a little bit more research along the way um, and just like get to learn a lot more new things so I can kind of share with the audience and, you know, also share with you, Galen. So um, hopefully that's the type of experience that I'm going to gain with going through um, Crypto Scrubs and this podcast at the same time. Um, hopefully this could be very informal to, you know, just like the general audience. Um, nothing, not for like the extreme technicals because we already have that a lot out there. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully that's a good fit. Yeah, we hope to keep it high level, uh, have it be easily digestible. And one of the main reasons we wanted to make this evergreen is Tony and I get together and talk about random crypto topics Uh once in a while, over over the phone, over lunch, uh, whenever we meet up, and we wind up talking about two hours. And next time we meet up, we talk about the same thing. So we wanted to make this a recording so it could be out there, um, shared with the world, and also have a reference for us because we're learning on this journey um, together through this ever-changing uh, crypto crypto universe. So. Um, episode one, we wanted to do an uh, episode on NFTs because out of the whole craziness with Ukraine and everything right now, NF- the NFT marketplace is running strong, um, even if Bitcoin, Ethereum, and all the, all the other majors in altcoins aren't doing as hot. The NFT metaverse has been, NFT universe and metaverse has been running strong. So um, let's get started. Um, so Tony, uh, what is an NFT? Yeah, so let's start with that very first question that you know everyone wants to get their head wrapped around. It's you know what does NFT stand for? Um, it's an acronym for a non fungible token, um, and non fungible token is pretty much something that has unique characteristics to it. Uh, examples would be art, serial code, um, something like uh, NFT designed like CryptoKitty, the very first one. Um, that has its own, technically its own worth based on its own detail and um, when it was, I guess, born or serial numbered, like 01 versus 100. 
um, Crypto Kitty. So um, that is the very first one. Um, do you want to explain the non side, the non NFT side of things? Yeah, non NFTs, um, when we talk called fungible assets or fungible tokens, are tokens that can be easily exchanged uh, with each other. And values do not differentiate between one token or one asset versus another. Uh, one example is a dollar bill. My dollar bill is going to be easily transferable with your dollar bill because there is no differentiation of value between those two types of assets. Um, versus a fungible asset or a fungible token, one type of fungible token will be unique over every type, other type of fungible asset or token. Um, an example of a fungible token is a diamond because of the unique characteristics that each diamond holds. Um, characteristics can include like the clarity um, and also the type of way the diamond is cut. Uh, the type of cut on the diamond, and also the just the arbitrary market value of how the diamond is sourced and the value that is placed on diamonds. So my diamond, if you ever gone through marriage or looking for diamonds, it's a whole process. It could take like months, literally, about ch choosing a diamond. But each diamond that you choose is will be differentiated because of all the different characteristics of a diamond. You know, actually, I that's very interesting that we talk about diamonds is because I actually look, had to look into um, buying my first diamond, a ring for my girlfriend, Ooh, who is now a fiancé. Um, but Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we actually went with something new uh, called, like, the lab-grown diamonds. They're, like, pretty much the new thing that's out there in the market. And be because it's lab-grown, it was actually, like... 30% of the price of the, an actual real diamond. Um, but in, in that sense, I was actually able to maximize my clarity, um, the, the cut, the size of it, and really just get the best bang for the buck, um, so to speak. And so it was kind of nice. I, I definitely recommend all those new people out there, you know, that are going to be looking into diamonds to take a look into lab-grown diamonds. Um, they're pretty much the same thing. They're not the synthetic ones that we also know of that are out there. Um, they're actually um, just built in a lab with the same carbon type of deal. So you won't, like, no one can, can actually tell by just looking at it through an eye. They actually have to use some kind of UV ray to kind of tell the difference. And then um, you can see through a, a UV that the lab grounds are actually much brighter than what it was in the, in the ground. So that's kind of cool. Um, but other than that, yeah, that's my experience with uh, having to buy diamonds. <laughs> that way you can ensure that's not a blood diamond, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, I think that's the one benefit that um, a lot of people go for is being able to buy diamonds that are not a blood diamond. Most likely all the diamond market out there currently has been exchanged so, through so many hands that um, they're most likely a blood diamond, um, so to speak. So... Um, yeah, it's a great deal. I think I think everyone should do that in the future. Um, it, 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 diamonds are just so inflated in price. You know, it's it's just a gemstone. So um, yeah, traceability is an issue mm -hmm. with um, traditional assets like diamonds. And we're talking about uh, all the sanctions with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, most of the world's diamond supply is actually coming from Russia. Oh, so if that 
is not traced if you if you're against the war in Russia and Ukraine, um, then that's one way to to avoid it, I guess. Right, Tony? Yeah. Um, talking about traceability, it was kind of interesting because every diamond had its unique characteristic. It has some sort of flaw, some sort of little uh, fidgets inside a diamond. So they were they were all priced differently, different types of cut, which made it all unique in its own. Um, also, in a sense, like there's traceability um, with they're like registered, I guess, with the GIA, um, uh, some kind of like, what do you call like those guys that like register like the cards or like pretty much test the cards? I don't know if you call them PCA or something. Um, oh, uh, you're talking about in the traditional collectible space yeah. with uh, collectible cards like Pokemon yeah, baseball exactly. cards. It's yeah. called PSA. PSA. Got it. Yep. So, yeah, they're like. It's like that, but for diamonds, um, GIA is like the most respectable one. Apparently, everyone says to go through them. So I had to go through that. Um, I looked through, it had its own pretty much unique, um, I don't know, uh, a file on the diamond that I bought. And so that that was kind of an interesting way of having to buy diamonds. Um, they told me like I shouldn't touch any other diamonds or look into any diamonds that are not GIA. Um, so... Yeah, they have to go through a process, and every single diamond purchase that you do has to go through some some type of um, certification process. So that's kind of nice. cool. Nice. Yeah. So we mentioned a couple of authentication sources, GIA, PSA, which brings us back to our kind of major point that we want to hit home on our first podcast: is why do NFTs have value? Um, we kind of explained about what is an NFT, but kind of the more, impo- more important question is why do NFTs have value? And to kind of uncover that, let's bring back to why collectibles have value. Because I think most people just hear it of NFTs without having any background in collectibles, digital or traditional or physical. Um so it's important to understand, I think, why collectibles have value in the first place. So bringing it back to kind of the first major types of collectibles is Magic the Gathering trading cards. Have you heard of Magic the Gathering, Tony? Yeah, I have. I was definitely too young for Magic the Gathering because there was a lot of complexity to it. Definitely a lot of rules that I didn't really want to get into. So I don't have that, but I did collect a lot of Pokemon cards back in the day. So um, I have some some experience with that. I definitely have experience with both. Unfortunately, that's <laughs> during my high school days, and I was an avid collector and player, so I uh, took a lot of my time, and my parents forced me to throw them out. Nice. Um, <laughs> not nice. I think those cards would have been Worth a lot of money now, at least a car, honestly. I, I always found that people who play Magic were always like really smart. Like, I don't know, some kind of correlation with that. I feel like that game is very difficult to pick up. And therefore, you know, you would have to be extremely kind of smart in that area, um, just in general in life, I think, just to be able to um, pick those up as a game. But yeah, cool. Yeah, Magic definitely had a lot of layers. Just competitive Magic, the Gathering, playing right now. It's like a pretty big scene. I think it grew a lot more, right? Like it's just because of the internet, especially, it's been you know, creating communities out there and people can actually right. do meetups and et cetera. I think the explosion of all asset values recently, collectibles, stocks, crypto recently has been helping that as well, bringing the focus back to like Pokemon cards and Magic Gathering. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. But one one point I wanted to bring back for Magic the Gathering, um, that 
it, the reason why it was considered one of the most uh, largest collectible spaces is because of the infamous card called the Black Lotus card from Magic the Black Gathering. Black Lotus. Yep, the Black Lotus, the infamous. I think there are less than 10 in circulation identified. They're probably more just lost, destroyed, thrown away like I did. Um, Black Lotus cards, uh, the last time I checked, a, f- a, good, a good quality one intact is worth $500,000. Um, and that's one of the highest values for any trading card available besides going into like the really rare baseball cards. But Magic the Gathering um, card, Black Lotus, $500,000. Uh, I saw half of one sell for 150000 So if you put two together and tape it up <laughs> gonna have three hundred thousand dollars worth of card so that's kind of the values that we're, we're talking about now um a really old card from magic gathering 500k we see nft values uh, go up to as high as 69 million um the piece that people sold recently uh and we're talking about uh baseball cards uh honus wagner card that that is pretty rare as well. Sell, sold for, I think, a, a few million dollars. Um, and also Pokemon cards, we're talking about uh, first edition uh, Shadowless Charizards holographic cards being worn on MMA fighters' necks during <laughs> <laughs> during fights um, to be a status symbol. So the whole collectible space, NFTs included, has exploded for the past uh um, everything post-pandemic. I think the p- pandemic kind of triggered asset values, inflation, prices going, all going up. That is insane. I'm actually looking at this right now. The Black Lotus card, um, there was this actual Black Lotus card um, that was sold not too long ago, in 2019, for $166,000 on eBay. All right. Imagine having to on eBay. risk. Yeah. yeah. Imagine having to risk $166,000 just to buy this card and hope that you can sell it for higher. Uh, and which he did. Um, whoever this person that owned it, um, two years later in 2021, which is just a year ago in January 27th, um, actually a grade 10 was sold for $511,000. That's great. $500,000, yep. Uh, so Tony, uh, one of the major points I want to bring up is called grading. So, and you mentioned diamond grading is called uh, GIA, right? Correct. That's right. Yep. I, I just looked it up. Gemolo- Gemological Institute of America. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm not familiar, too much familiar with that, but I've heard of it, uh, like in stores and stuff. But um, trading cards, bring it back to that point, is called um, a, a, a rating agency called PSA. Yeah. Um, and they grade, they start with sports cards and, uh, they, they moved on to like, uh, baseball, uh, Pokemon cards, magic gathering, and they're called professional sports authenticator, um, in the traditional collectible space, be it art or any type of asset, you need to have that, um, type of asset authenticated to be worth anything. Um, for example, if you're, if you have a pretty rare Pokemon card, that you just pull from a pack, um, that card by itself, because if you try to sell it, there's no authentication method. People do, don't have faith um, or trust that your card is actually real. So in order to prove that it's real, 
proof that it has actual value, you send it to a third party source to have it um, authenticated and graded. That's crazy. So, I yeah. mean, you, you're technically having to, you know, trust a third party middleman, um, have to pay them to do all the work and then tell you if your car is authentic. <laughs> right. That's a lot of, um, that's a lot of uh, uh, loops to go through, I think. Um, a lot of right. mistakes that can go through, especially with, you know, multiple hands that it's getting passed down. Um, what if it gets yep. damaged on the way there? Yeah, that, that was a risk. <laughs> you have to send it through FedEx or UPS or USPS. It gets and stolen. Gets stolen or get gets lost in the mail that you <laughs> definitely put insurance on it if you, you have a high value card you lose a you lose a half a million dollar card sending it to somebody and it doesn't yeah. get there oh my and it God. takes two weeks i think um so kind of the idea of actual pricing of these third party services at the psa sites pulled up um, for a card that is declared up to $999, it costs $50 a card to grade. Um, and the, the value is kind of scaled up by every $500, it's every $50 extra to grade. Um, but when we're talking about a card that could be like a Black Lotus or a Charizard uh, that can be declared $250,000 or higher, it actually costs $10,000 to grade a card oh wow so imagine having to pay ten thousand dollars just to have just to declare your asset has value um so that that's that's the kind of the idea of the traditional collectible space of how these services ramp up their pricing and the the delays of of the in transit so if you're talking about a rare piece of art you have to come pay for someone to fly in <laughs> look at your art go through all these tests of like, um, I don't know, UV tracing or uh, carbon dating to authenticate that piece of art, which could cost upwards of ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. That's like anxiety buildup right there. Yeah. <laughs> Having to wait for something so valuable to come back to you yep. <laughs> just to be graded. Exactly. Um, so bring it back to like, that. that's kind of the idea, general idea of how traditional collectibles work. Asset values have exploded like that example you gave, Tony, of that someone bought a Black Lotus in 2019 for $100,000 or so. 2021, they sold it for $500,000. So triple value in three years. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. 100% return um, every year for three years. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. Since they bought, bought, that, bought that card. Or, yeah. So bring it back to why do NFTs have value? Um, NFTs have value because they're, I think, because of the replacement of these traditional asset valuations for the collectible space. And because people saw that value, they recognized the value of the blockchain and Ethereum. And instead of having to pay $10,000, $20,000 for my assets to be valued, I can just buy it on Ethereum, pay the gas fees. Right. Um, for for that card, what gas fees is a whole nother discussion. But right now, I think gas fees are cheap, like I don't know twenty dollars or something. But I think during the height of it, um, gas fees grew to about two hundred dollars, uh, which is better than twenty thousand dollars, right? That's very true. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. I think um, you know there was a huge leap in technology that's been added to, I guess, something like art. 
Um, in this space, definitely, instead of having to going through like this whole authentication process, it's authenticated right, like on the spot, right? Um, the blockchain it, itself will do that for you. It's all automated. So the only thing that you're risking technically is your money um, having to, to make that transfer um, for that art and hope that that art will you know grow in price in the future, so to speak. Um, but other than that, it's you know the, the risk has been pretty much de-risked like all the way through. Um, it's removed all of like the old traditional ways of things that are being done. Um, and now hopefully that can expand towards, you know, like what we're all hoping for, which is like audio, um, art and like, you know, something that like maybe even more like I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for, um, birth certifications on, you know, being on the blockchain, like NFTs. So like, you know, I can kind of take a look at it on the internet. So I don't have to like carry this birth certificate around in the house, like wherever, you know, we move to, you know, I, you know, I want to be comfortable saying, seeing that, you know, my birth certificate won't ever disappear. I don't know if you heard of this, but like um, the U.S. government at one point had to, for this person, uh, it's, uh, Bob Lazar was the guy that I was doing a podcast on. Um, they, they, got, they got rid of his birth certificate. Like, so like he pretty much, you know, lost his whole existence on, in the United States. And that's kind of scary. But if you were to, you know, pretty much immortalize in something like, you know, the internet and the NFT world, you know, no one could take that away from you. So I'm really hoping for something more permanent like that, um, whether it's for home real estate or, you know, for birth certificate, social security. I don't know. That's kind of scary having socials on the Internet. But um, in, in some ways, it would be kind of nice to, you know, if that's a way to protect your living identity. Um, that's kind of cool. Yeah, um, I, I think t since the start of 2020, we saw asset values, collectibles increase, all increase in value. and we saw the birth of kind of the NXT explosion, right? Of values in the NXT space. And I think why the NXT's value exploded so much is that people voted and they recognized this is the best, this, these are, this is where I want to own my collectibles on a blockchain that's digital, that has that p potential to have more permanency then my physical collectibles that I have to maintain, that I have to shelter, that has a risk of fire, flood, water damage, right? And also I had to go through this these third-party services that are numerous, like GIA for diamonds, PSA for grading cards, um, something else for, for cars, right? For traditional like automobiles, right? Uh, I think people just got sick of that, like, um, going through all these services that are centralized that you don't know if they're going to stick around forever. And they voted with their money to go put, uh, to own assets on Ethereum mostly and the blockchain. That's very true. I think it provides so much value and utility to have these things on the blockchain and have it as existing as an NFT um, that, you know, the voting of confidence where the money came in is one and also just the level of adoption um, where people are just flooding in and just continuously using the NFT because it has so much value in terms of like utility, like what you can do with it. And it's endless, right? So like we're at the very beginning stages of what NFTs can do. Therefore, the value is currently today. Um, but, you know, in the future, once, you know, people start building on top of these NFT things, um, you know, it's just going to explode even more in value and it's going to grow in terms of, I guess, more adoption, right? Because we're just at the very early stages of um, what NFTs can do.
yeah, that that th- I think those are really good points to to hit home on. Um, so we mentioned NFTs on Ethereum. What what types of other platforms or um, kind of major platforms of NFTs are there? Yeah, so they're still growing. Um, I would say I I actually own some NFTs on Avalanche Avex. Uh, there, they actually was a. They made a copy of CryptoPunks on Avex, so there's one in also in uh, Polygon Matic uh, CryptoPunks. But I, I own CryptoPunks on Avex, which isn't like um, exploding in value like on the Ethereum platform, just because there isn't that many people you know using Avex for NFTs currently today. They mostly kind of just use it for DeFi. Um, but it's interesting because. Um, there's other like competing, you know, there's definitely competing uh, platforms out there, what we also call protocol uh, protocols out there that are competing for this space because they see value in it. They see value in terms of user activity. They want people to use their um, protocols so that, you know, you know, that it, it'll just grow in the ecosystem like for their future. Um, but yeah, I do own a little bit of CryptoPunks on Ava Avalanche currently today. I'm not heavily invested in M- NFTs. Um, um, I am just watching it on the side just to see how it grows. Uh, but definitely, I think I'll be very interested in owning something in the metaverse um, uh, in the future for Ethereum once uh, everything kind of cools down in price. Yep, we, we've seen this explosion of uh, NFT values on Ethereum. And one thing you brought up was CryptoPunks actually was copied on Avalanche, right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. And I think, and you said the Avalanche <laughs> CryptoPunks aren't near worth nearly as much as the Ethereum. Not, right? even, not even, maybe yeah. like a, a 10th value. A 10th. Yeah, yeah that, tenth. that is nuts. Yeah. Um, I think a common question that comes up is like, if I see an NFT, can I just screenshot the image and and try to sell it oh you, the answer is JPEG. heavily no <laughs> because <laughs> no your screenshot is saved on your local hard drive you personally are the authenticator of it and no one's gonna trust you and no one has faith in your personal hard drive what's essentially a copy of a network right um, yeah that's true and we've seen we've seen this copying of nfts of, of crypto crowns or any other major ethereum nfts on other networks that aren't worth nearly as much and that brings up back to the point of the nfts that thrive are the ones that have the network advantage do you want to know and, something crazy yep so CryptoPunks on avax right so there was one original apparently it was the, the original but you know it, when you when it gets thrown into a marketplace like OpenSea, you can't tell where it's from a little bit um because they're actually from avax themselves but there was a copy of CryptoPunks that were being sold at the same time and um a lot of hands exchanged the fake CryptoPunks on avax network yeah, so a lot of these things happen, like a lot of the copying like that you were spoke, speaking of right now, like where they just, all they do is they take a screenshot of, you know, something that's already out there and they put it out them themselves. And I accidentally bought one and I, yeah, and I try to sell it as soon as possible. I think it reminds me of the 2017 uh, initial coin offering bubble, right? Where people just 
raise money from everywhere. I think you you, <laughs> you had bought a white paper, right? Just <laughs> threw a couple of ether to a white paper. Yeah, that's no project. That's exactly what everybody was doing. Everybody was buying white papers on their projects. So they this that's like the only thing they had available. Like they, they didn't have a working protocol. They didn't have a working network. All they had was, hey, this is what it's gonna do on a white paper. And if the white paper looked good enough, you know, people started buying, you know, what, like $10,000 worth of their money just to get a return on a token. With any um, kind of early adopter phase of, of technology, there's going to be this explosion of value. And um, I think maybe five out of 100 projects will be legit. Yeah, let me, or, I have to explain or, that a little bit. Yeah, so right. I, um, I was involved in an ICO called Dragon Chain. Do you, do you remember something yeah. called Dragon Chain? I think they the one of the major points was they had a collaboration with Disney, and that was the yeah. that was the sticking points. But I think it it just died after a couple of months. Total months. flop. Yeah, they yeah. total flop. So no, they they were actually going for like a year or more more. But like they had a partnership with Disney, like the parks. So their idea was that they were going to use their token or integrate blockchain with a ticketing system as a start and whatnot. But it ended up just flopping, right? So they had a, a good future, you know, ahead of them. But what ended up happening? Well, actually, I when I did the ICO, I, I got a return of five x, um, sort of speak, but highly yeah. risky, right? So I was willing to lose all that money for the return. It's kind of like poker a little bit. Um, the betting yeah. size was worth it um, for the return, so I took the risk, which was great. But um, the learning experience was that um, ICOs are, you know at the very early stages were very, um, n there was nothing there. There was nothing solid. Um, and, and I, and th this goes for a lot of the projects that had a lot of future that, you know, like, I don't know if, do you remember EOS? EOS? Yeah. Yeah. EOS. Yeah. Um, they were supposed to be the Ethereum killer and look at them now. <laughs> yeah. There's been they, 10 or 15 major Ethereum, quote unquote, Ethereum killers that yeah. never killed Ethereum. Yeah, they, they because they couldn't gain any adoption. They had nothing on their platform. You yep. know, like nobody was building on their platform and they invested so much. People invested so much money into this thing like EOS and Cardano and, you know, nothing has happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. Car Cardano is an important uh, interesting one because it, it's, it's still in the top 10. Yeah. There are actually Cardano ETFs called CN CNFTs. That's uh, crazy. And their values are like a couple bucks, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> um, people like it because it's cheap and it's accessible, but it's nowhere near the value of Ethereum and FTs. And that, that, that just shows what people put value in. Yeah, there's nothing um, out there for Cardano. And right. That's why it's such a... A huge. I don't know. A lot of people are going to hit it hard. I mean, I still see people promoting it on Facebook. It's like, yep. what should I buy? And they're like, yep. you should buy Cardano. No. And let us reiterate. Like, definitely do your own research. Weigh the values, value over risk, in in this market. But I think um, over the long term, uh, just to give you guys what uh, NFT values are at right now, um, according to Coin Market Cap, the total NFT market cap is around ten billion dollars. And I think the height of the, the previous peak of the NFT market was back in 2017. Um, during that rise, 
gave to uh, CryptoKitties on Ethereum, and that the height of that total value was just 500 million. Wow. So from 500 million to 10 billion market cap in about four or five years, that's been the ri- long-term rise of Ethereum NFTs. And I think that the hype um, that was the peak of the most current cycle was last, last August in August 2021. Uh, the height of that was a lot more than currently. We had one NFT sell for $69 billion. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just the one. Um, six, sorry, $69 million. Oh, okay, okay. No, $61 billion. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Got my M's and B's mixed up there with people. Um, but that, that was just one NFT. And uh, right now, we're, we're still sitting level at $10 billion total market cap. Who, who made that record? Was it NFTs. people? People, yeah. His, this piece, if you don't know, he, this, this artist uh, took one picture of himself for 365 days and made a collection. And... Because he's done and the NFT releases that this uh, this val- this piece sold for sixty nine billion a million dollars. Wow, sixty nine <laughs> okay. million. That's a lot. That's it's a big difference between the M and the B. <laughs> yeah, certainly um, there. Yeah, yeah. So kind of bring it back to we talked about a little bit about um, traditional uh, collectibles. Um, why do current NFTs have value and why do specifically Ethereum NFTs have value and not copies on other blockchains or just copies on your own hard drive that you try to try to save down? Um, which brings that to, to kind of the main four points of why NFTs have value. Um, we hit on like they're evergreen in nature. That's one. They'll never be destroyed. They have traceability. So you won't be getting like a blood diamond or uh, a, a kind of just a shifty in a uh, collectible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it provides automated authentication of ownership, which brings back to like the importance of blockchain and it has easy transferability. So they're evergreen in nature, has traceability of origin, um, auth- automated authentication and um, transfer ease of transferability. So, I think those those four points are what I think bring like encompassing have a summary of why NFTs have value. Yeah, definitely. I think you hit it right on the nail. Um, I know we talked a lot a little bit here and there, but definitely um, how I see it is just you know when NFTs have how do they have value is because they offer a lot of utility. Um, you can you know pretty much authenticate the ownership, um, traceability of where it comes from, and also you know. Uh, how does it have value? Um, we we also speculate a little bit on the value, um, and have you know sometimes we can also use that in the future um, with the speculation when the increase of value we can actually use that as a liquidity premium. Um, what in for that point for me, um, it's kind of like going a little bit more into uh, DeFi, which is like collateralizing your NFT and taking a loan on it. Uh, when you have something as valuable as let's just say like Beeple's sixty nine million dollars worth of art. Yeah, that's true. I think which brings back back to like the future and of NFTs and what we're looking looking ahead. And you bring up a good point, Tony, is because there's a lot of speculation going on of the exciting nature of what could happen next. And the the honest answer is we don't know what's going to happen next. Like people, no one expected this this meteoric rise of NFTs in almost just a year. Right, mm-hmm. and um, there's there's kind of ideas of where NFTs could provide value. 
Um, a couple of examples is I I am a consultant in the uh, data analytics space for a made for a pretty small medium sized uh, consultancy, and we specialize in the media entertainment space. Um, and during this past year, we saw companies like Disney um, start NFTs for Marvel. And they, I think they launched on the Vive platform, which is now uh, carried over to Immutable X, uh, which is kind of a layer two Ethereum solution. Lots of technical lingo there. Disney released an NFT. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also Warner Brothers re- released the Matrix NFTs as well. So we're seeing this interest in media entertainment companies going into the collectible space and the metaverse trying to capture value and build brand recognition. Um, and I think lots of, not not just personal individual collectors, uh, the whole uh, Fortune 500 companies, media enter- media entertainment companies, in, um, and specifically are interested in this space. Um, I think, Tony, you, you talked about a little bit about uh, uh, DeFi, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, f- like, fractional ownership of these high high value uh, nfts and what's interesting is that traditional lending right now um in order to have a loan you have to apply for it and have have some sort of collateral on on that loan and if you default on that loan that collateral gets taken away Mm -hmm. um and we're, we're seeing is Tony, right? People actually using Ethereum NFTs as collateral for, for loans. Yes. Uh, very early stage. I would say not a lot of people are doing it currently uh, in the marketplace and it wouldn't be that easy to do. Uh, in my experience, I don't think, you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever found a, a site that's easily manageable with, you know, putting up an art as a collateral for an, uh, a loan. But definitely, it's it exists um, as of 2022, uh, since 2021 or whatever it's been around. Um, so yeah, it's definitely interesting. It's out there. Um, we can now use more things on the internet to collateralize and take a loan, and it's even easier and much faster uh, to do than going through a traditional space uh, such as a bank, because you know I don't think any bank would you know take any of your NFTs and decide to give you a loan on it. Um, just because it has value on the internet. But um, this is more uh, P2P kind of thing uh, where uh, we m- remove the middleman out there so there's no like fee taker unless it's, like, pl- unless it's on a platform. And it's a very small fee if it is because you know there's, an actual, there's no actual person behind it. Um, it's all just automated, um, which is kind of nice. So it's much safer, less risk, and I would say it's an evolving space. Uh, where we can start now doing using other things out there. Uh, we, we could probably eventually start collateralizing on the internet um, in the blockchain space, like with probably your car and your own house, your own real estate, which we haven't done yet. Uh, I'm pretty sure which would happen in the future. Right. I, I think the importance of all of this brings back to like, it all happens mostly on Ethereum and other, other types of protocols. And the, the, why it's important is because it all happens in one decentralized ecosystem. Um, you create your NFTs, you mint your NFTs on Ethereum, you create the smart contract for everything else, like lending, providing collateral. You send your NFTs with each other and trade with each other on the Ethereum network. So it all happens in one place. 
And because it all happens in one place, people can put faith in that one protocol and one marketplace um, yeah. where it's all happening. And I need to kind of add that. Uh, so uh, the question that kind of comes up is why is it on Ethereum and not any other platforms? Um, one is because it's quite hard to use. So, um, or not that hard. I would say like you, you have to pretty much, so from my experience, having to own AVAX NFTs, you have to bridge money over. So what that means is you have to send money from your bank account to the Ethereum network, right? Because you buy Ethereum and you use Ethereum to buy NFTs. That's one thing. But then instead of doing that, what you do is you own Ethereum now, and then you would have to send Ethereum to the AVAX network. So they're separate networks. They're completely different. They're not like intertwined. So you can't just, you know, go on one platform and use AVAX to buy AVAX, you know, NFTs. You actually have to send money over, wait for it to send over. And do this whole process of, you know, going through this authentication. Um, and that takes up time and money. Um, and therefore also doesn't have a lot of um, user activity, I would say. Uh, a lot of adoption yet in other platforms. Therefore, there isn't a lot of liquidity. And if there isn't a lot of money being traded, um, buying and selling on other platforms like AVAX or Solana, then, you know, obviously that's one of the reasons, the main reason why, you know, my CryptoPunk on AVAX is worth only a 10th of what it's worth on the Ethereum network. Right. And it also has, has to do with honestly, just the value of Ethereum and AVAX. I think Ethereum is actually worth almost 10 times more than AVEX. That is very true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is volatility with that as well. Yeah. And definitely yeah. Ethereum is way in the lead um, versus AVEX that just came out like what, like a year ago, maybe in September of 2020. So, yeah. and I have yeah. market caps pulled up. Um, Bitcoin sitting around 740 billion, Ethereum 309 billion, AVEX all the way down to around 18.8 billion dollars yeah so yeah that just based on the amount of money sitting on each protocol network that that does make sense yeah um which brings us back to like why bitcoin and ether always is is maintaining lead because of the trust that people have in in the two top major ones and when we're going through kind of a correction slash bear market right now people always park their money in bitcoin and ethereum because just like traditional assets, people fly to safety in in terms of that's in, very true. Um, a risky market, right? No one's gonna so, no one's gonna try to park their money in penny stocks more than the real estate when you have a lot of money to do exactly. so. Yeah. Yep. Um, kind of a, a final point of Ethereum. Looking forward, kind of new tech, emerging technologies. Um, one technology is uh, I see is the multi-token protocol. Uh. Technically speaking, it's ERC-1155, and that's what's really exciting to me about the future of collectibles and kind of the space in general. Uh, the multi-token protocol, um, instead of having one smart contract or one type of token wrapped like an Ethereum token, uh, you can actually package a bunch of different types of tokens, fungible and non-fungible, into one smart contract. So... This is especially exciting for the media entertainment space because um, when you when you think about like the music industry, uh, when you sell an album, you can package a, your your album and, and into 
like from individual songs, which can be NFTs. And when you do that, when you write a smart contract on that, you can automatically gather royalties and fees and revenue from that smart contract. Let's say if you have if you publish that, and then services like Avenue Music, uh, Spotify, or uh, Title connect to that multi-token contract every single play you automatically will generate revenue from that and you will no no longer have to go through those those third-party services which take a huge cut of your individual uh work um which which is totally mind-blowing i think mark cuban put it (laughs) in his 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 words this is the most exciting part um, of ethereum that he sees so that's cool. This is is this only on the Ethereum network? Is that yeah? It's specifically for ERC eleven fifty five, which is a Ethereum protocol. And so we're going back to pretty much um, forgot the name of the play, uh, like Netscape. Is that what it was called? Netscape, no. Napster, Napster. Yes, that's <laughs> yeah. what I was looking Netscape's for. Netscape's the browser, I think. So Napster, Napster is the, yeah. like P two P kind of thing deal, but at the same time, it's automated in a sense. Like everyone, the owners, the the content creators are going to be pretty much owning most of the rewards, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. Versus something like Spotify or YouTube, that's pretty much centralized, and they're yep. taking most of all the, the huge fee or yeah. the huge cut. It's going to be interesting. Uh, what types of protocols emerge in the next couple of years? Oh my goodness! Um, I'm excited. We, we talked about like <laughs> Avalanche already. Cardano tried their own platforms for for these types of NFTs, and Ethereum has a roadmap already. Um, and I think the strength of the Ethereum roadmap is it's just so much momentum behind it. But it's never know what's going to happen, right? Yeah, we have. So currently, you know, as of today, we only have something, you know of a platform that sells images, right? Like, you know, NFT images, like OpenSea Market. But like, yeah. we don't have anything with audio or we don't have anything That's true. with yeah. video, uh, which would be the next step. But I think video is a little hard to do because, you know, you have to compress the size of file and whatnot. But um, we don't have anything for audio. So that'll be very interesting to see, especially if something like EIP 1155 comes out and, you know, now people actually own their own content and, you know, earn royalties from that so yeah um this might be getting too deep but the why uh nfts when when you publish or mint nft that image um has to be stored on some sort of decentralized platform or you can't consider that nft fully decentralized Mm -hmm. like if you have the actual image stored in your laptop or some aws server but the contract is on ethereum that entire nft not decentralized in order to make it fully truly decentralized you have to store that nft image or that file or that song or that movie or clip on what is called the ipfs system which is the interplanetary file system mm-hmm. um one token that came out recently is called Filecoin, which is serving to serve to be um this place where it, like assets like ethereum uh, images, music, and also videos get stored in. So Filecoin might be something to to keep an eye on. Mm, okay, yeah, definitely. I've been hearing a lot about Filecoin. I, I haven't used it myself, so I don't know what I can do with it. I, I initially thought Filecoin was about um, decentralizing the, the hard drive space, so to speak, on the yeah. cloud. 
Um, yep. And so like people can borrow or whatnot, use Filecoin to pay for it, um, or or even yeah. just lend out your hard drive space so that you know Filecoin or other people can use, and then you get paid in Filecoin. I think that's that's the initial thing that I've learned about. I don't. I'm not two hundred percent sure. Um, it sounds like a decentralized AWS S3, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but people are doing it instead of um, a centralized place, I guess. <clears throat> okay, cool. Uh, to wrap it up, uh, we wanted to provide you kind of our high-level thoughts about NFTs. Apologies if we went too deep. Um, definitely, we have a lot of... This, this is what Tony and I sound like when we're talking over lunch or something. So we're, we're trying to immortalize it, bring you guys along for the ride, and also trying to get better ourselves. So I um, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Yeah, thank you for uh, coming by and listening. Um, wh- wherever you are, I think um, the the best time for me is you know while you're driving through uh, any long traffic. So um, also don't forget to like and subscribe if there is a like button, and if and hopefully there's always a subscribe button. So definitely do that, um, whatever platform we're on. All right, thank you for thank you for uh, listening in for this very first podcast. Yeah, join our Twitter, join our Discord. Um, for our next episodes, we hope to tackle more topics like DeFi, trading, um, uh, mining, and also we have more topics uh, coming up for you from the future. We hope to keep it as um, releases for every two weeks. So keep it, uh, keep uh, your tabs on that as well. And thank you to everyone for listening. All right. Thank you guys. Uh, signing out.